Hi guys and welcome to Murders of Mum. I'm Katie. And I'm Mia. Or Mum. And today we're doing part one of the Ken and Barbie killers. Okay. Do you know them? Nope. Okay, you might know them by their real names, which is Carla Homolka and Paul Bernardo. You don't know them? I don't think so. You must do. There's no way you don't. You must do. Okay, well, let's carry <laughs> on and then I'll... <laughs> we'll find out, we'll find out. Um, just very quickly, we're going to apologise for not having an episode this week or last week. I had COVID and... I was very tired. Yeah. <laughs> it was not, my friend. Mm-hmm. And you just... Somebody had been off sunning in Mexico, so I was very tired. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we also might sound a little bit different today because for once we are both in the same room. Yay! Yay! <laughs> um, so yeah, let's get started, shall we? Okay. So this case is very well known, which is why I'm surprised that you don't know it. Well, maybe I just don't recognise the names or just... Probably. Live under a bush or something. <laughs> <laughs> under a bush. Under a rock. <laughs> um, but this is like well known as like one of Canada's like most famous like true crime case. Okay. Yeah, it's intense. So I'm gonna warn everybody now. This is very like abuse heavy, and these people were just like psychopathic monsters. Nice. Yeah. You ready? Well, I don't know. But carry on. <laughs> So, we're going to start off with talking about Paul Bernardo. Yeah. (laughs) Um, He was born in 1964 in Scarborough, Ontario, which is in Canada. Mm -hmm. Uh (laughs) And his parents were Kenneth and Marilyn. Okay. So, he was the youngest of three kids. And as the middle of three kids, I can say that the youngest is always the (laughs) favourite. I don't think that's true, but carry on. Um, But their family life was very sort of difficult. Kenneth and Marilyn were not in a happy marriage at all. It was very tumultuous. They were quite aggressive towards each other. More so him than her, I think. And Kenneth was a scumbag. Right. He ended up facing charges for paedophilia and peeping in on girls. What? Yeah, so he was gross. Not only that, he just abused the whole family and he also, it was found out that he had molested Paul's sister. Right, a scumbag then. Yeah, definitely. Now, quite naturally, I suppose, to be honest, um, Marilyn suffered from depression. Yeah. Because that's not a life you want to be stuck in, is it? No. And she would sort of leave unexpectedly to visit family, so she would go and visit family and just leave the kids with this guy. Right. Who was obviously a nightmare. And she ended up actually moving into the family home's basement. Okay. And, like, lived quite separately, which is quite weird. Yeah. But this is kind of 
testament to the kind of person he would become. He was actually considered quite a happy child, Paul was. Right. So all this was going on, but Paul was having time of his life. And at 16, he found out that Kenneth wasn't his biological father. And his mum had actually had an affair, and that's how Paul came to be. Right. Which you'd think, like, great, I'm not this... Yeah, monsters, child. Yeah. But no, that is not the take he had. He was absolutely disgusted with his mum, and he started to call her things like a whore and a slut, and all the things that his father was calling his mother, he would then start to do as well. Yeah. And I suppose, even though his dad was a terrible person, he was who he thought was his dad, so it was, would have been a massive shock for him to realise that he wasn't. He, you know, he, he probably felt like he was just living a life for the whole time, so maybe that's why he turned on his mum, and also, if he's used to his dad treating his mum that way, that's how he's been brought up as well. Yeah, you kind of... Isn't it like if you see your parent doing it when you're a child, you then think it's okay to do? Yeah, I mean, not everybody will go on to be like that, but... No, but... You know, he was only 16, so it was, it was very confusing for him. Not that I'm saying he was right, mm. but I'm just saying that he was probably quite confused. Anyway, carry on. So she reciprocated this aggression and she used to refer to him as a bastard. Oh, nice. Mm. So she has no excuse, really. <laughs> no, not really. And, I mean, you could say it was because of his childhood, it could be because of what his father was like, or he could have just been born messed up. But he started to develop really dark sexual fantasies, and they included building a virgin farm, where he would breed virgins, so that he could rape them. So he... Okay. That was one of his fantasies. That was one of his fantasies. Right. Yeah. And this kind of trickled through into his relationships. He was very physically abusive, and this is disgusting, but he would, like, forcefully rape his dates and he would also like if they consented to sort of regular sex he would then forcefully like anally rape them right so he's never satisfied no never satisfied and he would like threaten to kill them if they ever told anybody about like what he put them through so quite a few of his girlfriends did sort of like say in the end that like he was horrendously abusive yeah um but he was a scary guy. Yeah, he sounds like it. Mm. So that's his... He, like, does a lot more mm -hmm. with that. We're going to start talking about um, some more of the stuff he did in a bit. But for now, we're going to move on to Carla. Because I don't care what anybody says, she was just as guilty in all of this. Okay. She will go... We'll talk about it in part two, but she was, like psychopathic she was gross and you know when people say that like if you like in the twits 
You know the, the book by Roald Dahl? No, never read it. It's like, they say in it that like, you could be an ugly, but you could have not the prettiest face, but if you were a nice person, your beauty would like radiate through. Yeah. Whereas if you're, you could be the prettiest person in the world, and if you have an ugly personality. Yeah, that's what shows through. Yeah. And... Carla's showing it now, like, she's got a hook now, she's got jowl, she's, like, yeah, because she's free at the moment. She, she? Like, she's married, she's got kids, she's living her life in Canada. Right, so she got away with whatever it is. Yeah, and she, like, got to change her name and everything. Wow. Yeah. But we're going to go from the beginning, and Carla was born in 1970, in Ontario to Carol Homolka and Dorothy Seeger. I think that's how you say it, Carol. Yeah. Um, so he wasn't very great either. We're right. not like, on the dad front, we're not doing very well. He was an alcoholic immigrant from Czechoslovakia. Right. And he worked as a traveling salesman and Dorothy worked in a geriatric clinic. Okay. And Carla was the oldest of three, so they were both children of three, and she was the oldest. She had two younger sisters, called, uh, one was called Laurie and one was called Tammy Lynn. Okay. And well, unfortunately we'll get back to Tammy in a bit. So Carla was considered quite bright and she was her father's favourite, like by far. And he would, even though she was his favourite, he would still, like, verbally and physically abuse the entire family. But their home life was quite weird because when the marriage sort of broke down and Carol had an affair, Dorothy, like, instead of being like, I want a divorce or let's work through this, she was like, okay, let's have a threesome. Right. That's what she thought would, like, fix their marriage. Okay. Not necessarily, like, I don't think that's recommended by people. Well, suppose, well if it takes your fancy, I suppose. <laughs> mm. But it, again, leads into this weird sort of, not weird because, like, you're not weird if you have threesomes, if that's what you want to do, and everyone's consenting, then fine, do it. But, but she, it's not necessarily the normal home life. And, like, she was aware that this was going on. And did she, like, she obviously just did that because she thought that would make her husband happy, I suppose. Yeah. And Carla was, like, Carla was aware that it was happening. Mm, okay. Which was not okay. But she, um... She was described as quite stubborn and dominating, and she had dreams of being a vet because she loved animals. Okay. So she's great because she loves animals. Um, quite often it's mentioned that she was very unwilling to compromise with adults and other children when she was younger. Right. So not necessarily somebody that you'd want to play with in the playground. No. Um... And again, when she was a teenager, things started going, like, very wrong. Um, she would sort of start dressing alternatively, which is, like, fine. Um, 
It's quite funny because I'm dressed in like all black today and it's quite it's warm. It's a very nice you're, day. <laughs> you're in shorts and a t-shirt. Um, so that's fine. Do what you want to do. Um, but she also claimed that she had like attempted suicide multiple times and nobody ever really found evidence that she had. And then she also would like self-harm and cut into her wrists and then her friends would say that they would see she like nail polished over it and stuff so it was like to get attention yeah and i feel like when you mean when you say she nail polished over it what does that what do you mean like put nail polish over it to make it look over her scars or her cuts to make it like stand out oh okay yeah um that's not to say that self-harming is a form of attention grabbing because it's not but her friends would say that she was very sort of like look at what i'm doing yeah um I'm thinking maybe it was a cry for help i i think in like on some level it was i think on another level it was like i don't know if it's the same with everybody but in my school it was seen as like if you were the first person to do it you were like wow so brave and stuff like that whereas anyone else who did it it was like oh you're you're attention seeking and stuff Mm. we'll never really know will we no um and that's not the only thing that sort of went a bit awry with her she also started developing dark sexual fantasies as well so they're very Yeah, almost on the same level. And she had a boyfriend called Doug. And they slept together. And she told everybody that they engaged in, like, very heavy BDSM. Right. But Doug was like, no, it was actually, like, very vanilla. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, he sort of, she was telling everybody, like, oh, like, I was handcuffed, like, and all this kind of stuff, and he was like, no, it was very sort of, like, average. Yeah. So, they didn't work out, unfortunately. Um, so she also was, like, a liar to get attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But during high school, she worked at a pet store because she loves animals. Right. And she graduated in 1988 and started working as a vet technician at a veterinary clinic in Canada, in Ontario. Okay. So she's now living a dream. Yeah. We're now going to go on to um, the sort of heavier bit. Okay. So Paul Bernardo was not just the Ken of the Ken and Barbie killers. He also has another name which is, you know, just as lovely. He was known as the Scarborough Rapist. Oh. Yeah. So, we're going to talk about that bit. Because some of it does come before Carla. Okay. Some of it comes after Carla. Right. And I'm going to put a little trigger warning here. This is very, very abuse heavy. So Bernardo actually committed multiple rapes and sexual assaults throughout his life, like many, many, and he would often like stalk his victims beforehand. 
he was yeah he was a predator so it was always premeditated yeah he would like if he i'll go into more detail about this but if he saw a girl like getting off the bus he would go for her mm. So it wasn't necessarily like he found a victim and he'd stalk them for days and stuff. But if he saw a girl coming off the bus and she was alone and it was dark, he would go after her. Right. Yeah, he was gross. So the first one, and I'm not going to say any of the names of the girls. Quite a few of them aren't actually released because a lot of them are underage. Um, But I'm not going to say the names of any of them. No. Because... I just don't think... No, it's not the right place, is it? No. So, on the 4th of May in 1987, he raped a 21-year-old in the front garden of her parents' house after he followed her home. So, a lot of these are right... Right under the people's noses, really. Yeah, he had, like, he had no fit. And we'll go into it a bit more again at the end of this, but he was, like... He literally didn't give a shit. Um, So 10 days later, on the 14th of May, he raped a 19-year-old in the back garden of her parents' house. On the 17th of July in 1987, he attempted to rape a young woman, but she fought back so much that he gave up. Right. So this girl was like... a badass, basically. She fought him so hard that he had, like, marks. Good. The 28th of September, Bernardo broke into a 15-year-old girl's house, jumped on her back and put her ha- put his hand over her mouth and threatened her with a knife. He was so aggressive, he bruised like one side of her face and then he bit her ear. What? The only reason why he didn't rape her was because her mum came into the room and started screaming. Right. So he then like ran off. Unfortunately, they thought they found who'd done this and a 19 year old boy called Anthony was convicted of it in 1989 and he ended up serving a 16 month prison sentence. Right. But Bernardo admitted it. Right. Once he'd been caught for everything else and Anthony was exonerated. Can you imagine that? Well, I know. That must be terrible for that poor boy. On the 16th of December in 1987, he raped a 15-year-old girl around her parents' house. So again, just so close to where their parents are. And I don't know, like, obviously I'm not a parent, but I feel like if you heard what happened and so close to your house as a parent, I don't know how you would, like, cope with that. No, because you'd feel guilty. I think that you couldn't that you couldn't protect your daughter. Hmm. And I feel like as well, it's like I imagine when you have kids and they're finally old enough to like go off and do things by themselves. I imagine that's quite scary. Yeah. And then like all your fears get confirmed. Yeah. Like, how was she ever allowed out of the house again? Yeah. Unfortunately, this was not the last one. So, on the 23rd of December, two days before Christmas, 
1987, he wrote a 17-year-old girl at knife point. And at this point, he began to be known as the Scarborough Rapist. Again, they didn't know who he was, but it was just the yeah. Scarborough Rapist. He obviously carried on, which is lovely, um, and on the 18th of April in 1988, he raped another 17-year-old. Then on the 25th of May in the same year, he was almost caught, which is so frustrating to me, because everything else would have, like, wouldn't have happened. Um, but the police had sort of put different officers around bus stops because, as I said, he was like looking at bus stops, finding girls that were coming off the bus by themselves and yeah. then raping them. So one of these officers nearly caught Bernardo and he spotted him hiding under a tree. Right. Which, like... It's not the best hiding place, is no, it? No, like, he clearly wasn't the, like, brainiest of the bunch. Um, and he then sort of chased after him on foot, but just wasn't fast enough. And Bernardo got away. It's a shame. So, like... Obviously, it's not this guy's fault, but it's really frustrating that that happened. And five days after this, so this didn't deter him at all. Five days after, on the 30th of May, he raped an 18-year-old in Ontario, which was 25 miles away from Scarborough. So he was going further afield. Yeah. So didn't stop him at all from raping people. Maybe he just, like was out somewhere and decided they couldn't wait till he got home or maybe he thought actually I'm just gonna do it a bit further away. Yeah maybe that because he almost got caught he thought oh, I'll just go off somewhere else for a bit. Yeah and that didn't last very long so again not the brightest one of the bunch because on the 4th of October he attempted to rape a woman but she fought him off and basically fought like hell because he stabbed her twice in the thigh and in her bum and she needed 12 stitches. Mm. But she managed to fight him off. But she managed to fight him off. So that was like just mad. Mm. Again, didn't deter him very much because on the 16th of November he raped an 18-year-old in the backyard of her parents' house. And, and how old was he now? Um, so he was born 1964. Okay. So he was in his 20s then? Yeah. Not that it makes any difference, I was just wondering. <laughs> hmm. um, then the 17th of November, so the next day, the police started up a task force to catch the Scarborough Rapist. Which you'd think since, like... Well, that's been going on for, like, 18 months, isn't it? Yeah. So it's very delayed. Yeah. And also, like, it usually gets announced, doesn't it? Or, like, it's on the news that they start up a task force. Yeah. So, like, he knew this. And 10... 
well not ten days ago, but um, on the 27th of December, he then again attempted to rape a woman in the front yard of her parents' house, but a neighbour came out and saw him. Right. And he was chased off. Chased him off. Yeah. So again, just such a very lucky woman. Yeah. On the 20th of June in 1989, he attempted to rape a woman, but she fought back and screamed, which, again, like, the fact that she was able to do that is just amazing. Yeah. And her scream actually alerted the neighbours, and not only that, but she fought him so much that he actually left with, like, scratches on his face like proper proper scratches yeah on the 15th of august he raped a 22 year old and on the 22nd of where am i Uh, on the 21st of november he raped a 15 year old that he had spotted in a bus shelter he's really disgusting isn't he yeah on the 22nd of December, he raped a 19-year-old. And on the 26th of May in 1990, he raped a 19-year-old. But luckily, she remembered his face so vividly that she helped police create a, um, a composite portrait, which was then like released in newspapers and was being put like all around Toronto. Yeah. So... Like, she was amazing, again. And remarkably, people said, like, oh, that looks a lot like Paul Bernardo. Yeah. And the police were told by two different people that this, like, looked a lot like him. And so they interviewed him in July of 1990. Right. So now we're going to go on to the investigation. How are you feeling so far? Um, sick, really. Yeah. We're going to try and keep part one and part two quite short. Yeah. Because this is obviously a lot. Quite horrible. So, with the investigation, in the period of May to September in 1990, there were more than 130 DNA samples taken from suspects for testing. Right. But obviously, we're in 1990, and... DNA testing was still a relatively, like, new thing. Yeah. And they only had one centre that processed all the DNA. Right. And so it took such a long time, and it was such a slow process. And, as I said, the police were tipped off about Bernardo, and one time was by the wife of one of his closest friends, and another time was, I think, by a neighbour. Right. And he'd, like... I think one of his friends had, like, mentioned it to him, and he'd been like, oh, yeah, <laughs> like this. Um, but the police obviously have to look into every tip that they get. Yeah, yeah. So on the 20th of November in 1990, they interviewed him for a second time. Right. Because the first time he was, like, just, I don't know, anything... Like, very unhelpful. Yeah. So, when they interviewed him in the November, he willingly gave a DNA sample for testing. Right. 
So he was like, yeah, sure, and he's my DNA. Like, you just have to be, like, sociopathic or psychopathic. Like, no normal person does this and, like, remains calm and is like, yeah, okay, I'll give you my DNA. Mm. Just so, so strange. And not only that, but they, the police were also like, oh, why do you think that you've been mentioned? Yeah. And he was like, oh, well, I do look like the portrait. (laughs) Like, come on. Really? You know? Yeah. Just, yeah. Probably, in a way, like, if he's admitting he looks like it, then that's like, oh, gosh, yeah, doesn't that look like me? But it's, it's... probably threw him off the scent a little bit because you wouldn't say that would you if you were guilty well that's exactly the what thing. they thought and they they just thought that he was more credible than the people who had said that looks so much like him you need to interview him yeah and the wife of his friend who had said that this looks like him had said you also need to talk to him because he talks to my husband about really dark, like, sexual stuff. Yeah. So, like, this woman, like, knew. And they thought that he was more credible than she was. Mm. Which, again, is, like, being a woman He's in the 90s. He's obviously quite clever, I guess, as well, in making them believe him. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, it's also part of the reason why they were called the Ken and Barbie killers, because he was, like, I guess, like, now you look at pictures of him and you're like, ugh, gross. But I guess at the time he was, like, stereotypically, like, 90s... Attractive. Attractive, sort of, yeah. yeah. Um, and she was, like, blonde hair, blue eyes, like, yeah. Barbie kind of thing. And he was, like, he was a very charismatic person as well. And he obviously could talk his way out of... Yeah, he had the... Um, what's it called? Mm. He had the like charm. Yeah, charm. You're gonna have a look at them. Now, aren't I'm you? just gonna look at the yeah pictures. Do it. It's very sort of like eighties, nineties. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Frosted tips. Actually, before we say goodbye, because this is the end of the episode, but I just need your reaction of like what she looks like now. <laughs> um. That's her now. I mean, she looks like she could rip your head off in a second. Mm. Evil shines through, doesn't it? You know, she doesn't look. Sounds doesn't sound very good, but she doesn't look like a nice person. No, she doesn't. No, all. she looks like. Um. Yeah. I mean, obviously, in these pictures, she's trying to hide her face and. You know, she's probably cross because people are taking photos of her. Mm. But, so, you know, she's got that evil stare on. Yeah. So, when, this is the end of part one, but when we come back for part two, we're going to start talking about the schoolgirl murders Mm. and... Also, the murder of Carla's sister, Tammy Lynn. 
So again, that is going to be a rough one. Yeah. 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 Oh dear. How are you feeling? Okay. Well. Um, <laughs> stressed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just really disgusted. You know. I mean, I felt a little bit not sorry for him when he was 16, but a bit sad that he'd found out. You know that that it wasn't his dad and this and the other, but. That all went out the window. Yeah, as soon as you realise what a, like, monster he... And that's only the beginning. Mm. He gets worse. And so does she. Mm. And also, she knew that he was the Scarborough rapist. Oh, and she still got with him? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, that'll be interesting next time then. Yeah. So that's the end of part one. Um, we do have some, I don't know if you'd necessarily call them announcements, but some news. Um, we are now on Patreon. Um, I did a little sort of survey thing on Instagram a few weeks ago and quite a few of you said that you'd be interested in that. So we are on Patreon as Murders with Mum and we have three or four different um, sort of levels. And they also come with things like merch and stuff like that, which we are going to start working on and get ready for you guys so that we have some, like, nice, decent, like, things to give you. Because, obviously, we want to reward you guys and thank you guys for listening and supporting. Thank you. (laughs) So, yeah, that's um, our Patreon. And then we also have some new sort of um, covers and stuff for our merch and for Instagram that I took with one of my um, good friends who's um, a photographer that I'll tag in the pictures that I'm going to put onto Instagram and we'll also be doing another shoot in a month or so with the two of us for our merch, won't we? Mm-hmm. So if there's anything that you'd specifically like let us know, send us an email or pop us a message on Instagram and we are also still taking listener requests via Instagram DM or email. So I think that's everything. I think so. All covered. Yeah. So this was Murders of Mum and I'm Katie. And I'm Mum. And just stay safe. Stay safe. Yeah. Be nice. Be nice. Stay safe. And have a lovely Easter. Bye. Bye. Bye.